Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for uh, just an understanding and, and, and grasp of the text, and we pray that you would um, transform our hearts. We believe that your word um, is true, and that it is living and active, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and that it pierces us so that it might bring healing to us. We pray that that would happen today. We pray never sit before your word and think of it as something less than it is. And we pray that your spirit would move. In Christ's name, amen. Well, today as we study, we're going to look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11, as you know. And it's interesting because when we think about the incarnation and we think about or you could say, the coming of Christ. Uh, sometimes we're so familiar, we're not thinking about all of uh, what is taking place in that, and we, we kind of almost maybe don't stop and think how it confronts our worldview in a lot of ways. It is backwards. It, it doesn't fit within like the way we think about it. Um, some people would call you know, it a great paradox or in, in discipleship in general in that way where it's winning by losing. That, that's kind of the strange thing about it. It's, it's not the way you think. When you think about someone showing up to rescue you, you don't think about them doing it in the way that Jesus does. Everything's backwards. And the scene was that way. When he showed up, Everybody was expecting a Messiah that did not look like the Messiah that he was, and so they really didn't want that. And honestly, in your life, when you're thinking about it, a lot of times when you're, you're kind of reflecting on your life, uh, and you, you think about, what does it look like for me to win, for me to succeed, for me to be faithful to the gifts and the strengths and all this stuff in your life? You don't think in terms of losing as winning. I mean, that, that just doesn't fit into the way that we think. We think men win by self-promoting, by exalting themselves, by making much of themselves, by making more of themselves than they actually are. We want to keep score. We want to know, did we win we have this long list of things that we think this is the way or the road or the pathway to victory or the pathway to winning. And so it's somewhat like when you really stop and think about the Christmas narrative, you think, wait, he's humbling himself, he's emptying himself, he is denying himself of his rightful place, he is not storming the world that he lives in, he's not doing any of those things. He does not fit the pattern of a Caesar or of a king. There's nothing about that that makes me think, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's backwards. It turns everything upside down. And then when you think about your life, your Christian life, and you say, well, I separate my Christian life from my work life, or I separate my Christian life from my family life, or I separate my Christian life from my sports life, and you think something is, that's not really what we're supposed to do. 
And everything about it, this whole thing of the Christian gospel and the Christian life is, seems so backwards when you stop and consider it. So I think it's just important to say, like, what we've been looking at, what we started out last week with is Philippians chapter 2. We said we're going to look at the theology behind Christmas and not just the story. Well, the narratives are amazing, and they do teach theology. Stories teach you theological things, but in this case, we're just looking at what is the theology behind Christ's coming, and that's kind of where we're focusing. And we started with... Christ's humiliation, the eternal Son of God became man, which was a humbling thing. And he became man, and as he came on this earth, he becomes a servant, and the, the lowliest of servants, and ultimately, really a slave, and ultimately he dies on the cross. And that is what we have as like Christ's coming is one of humiliation, that's where we've been, and today we're going to look at his exaltation, and that's going to be the kind of the thrust of what we will see today, but it is like allowing you to see behind the curtain of the drama that was unfolding in the Gospels, behind that is like, what is this all about, and why is it so different than the way that I think, and I think that's important for us to do, sometimes we need to stop and consider what is really going on? So, the proper response to the incarnation is also going to be on display. And so we'll see that, and hopefully you will understand it. So, let's look at the text and think about, in verses 9 through 11, I'm going to read that for you one more time, because I want you to really try to soak that in and think about what is taking place. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So verse 9, starting out here, you see this phrase, therefore... And it makes you stop and you say, okay, what's going on here? Why is it there? What is he saying? What is he drawing kind of conclusions from? It's kind of like you would say, in light of the humiliation, therefore God highly exalted him. Philippians 2, 6-8, I just want you to see it because, again, you may not have been here before, you may, not, uh, you may have never studied this passage before, you may have missed uh, our study of it last week, but just look at it. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So in light of that, or therefore, God highly exalted him. He humbled himself. He accomplished the plan. He laid down his life. God highly exalted him. It's a really important thing. It's like he, the pathway to victory is him humbling himself and then on the other side coming up 
victorious. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What's he saying? He's saying he brought him forth. He brought him to life. Hebrews 2.9 says, But we see him who for a little while was lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And so he is crowned following his humiliation. He humbles himself, and it's followed by God honoring him. There's something about that, about the incarnation, about his coming, that allows you to stop and say, hold on just a second, this is what God is like. God shows up, God lays down his life, God serves, God empties himself of all privilege and all those things, and he lays down his, his life in service. It's backwards to the way we think. If I said, hey, you're going to have to go storm some capital, or you're going to storm this city, you're going to go take over, what, what would it look like? It would not look like a suffering servant laying down his life. That's just not the way you envision it. When I think about, you think about your story in your life, and you say, how did you get ahead? I, man, I ran through that deal, and I just kept hitting the wall till I busted it down. When you think about, maybe you say, well, I've never really done that kind of thing. When you think about in your family how you get your way, how do you do that? Is it honesty and kindness and gentleness and self-control and sacrifice? Is that how you get your way? No, I just tell them how it's going to be, you know, something like that. You're like, what? What is that? What is that? That's, That's not... I mean, those are the deeds of the flesh. I mean, those are, you know, that is not winning by losing. It's backwards. It's not really that. It's so different because life is different than that. It just feels like it's supposed to be different. But ultimately, when we look at it and we say, what is God like? What does it mean to be like God? What does it mean to follow in his footsteps? What is the thing that God is pleased with? What he's pleased with is the son laying down his life and giving of himself in sacrificial service. So it's so, like I said, it's so contrary to the way I think. The way that I think of winning, the way I think of accomplishment, the way I think of any of those things. It's a pathway that I don't really want to walk. It's not the narrow road just doesn't feel very like exciting. The incarnation, when I'm honest and I think, I, I, if I'm, when I'm really thinking about a Savior, that's not what comes to my mind is something like that where He lays down His life. It's just so contrary to the way that my mind would think. It's not what people honestly, oftentimes, that's not what they're looking for in a leader. People are not looking for a leader that's offering himself up in service to them. And he's like getting pushed around is kind of what they might say. it's It's so foreign to the way that we might think. 
John 10, 17 says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. Was Jesus not loved by the Father, or the eternal Son of God not loved by the Father? And we know He was loved by the Father. <clears throat> he was loved by the Father throughout eternity. But there is this unique, special love with, within this relationship of the Father to the God-man, the, the Father to the Son who laid down His life and became a human and just sacrificially served and gave Himself for us. The Father seeing the Son shine brightly in taking on human form and, and going to the cross. There's something special there of the Son literally laying down all of His ability. It's not like the, the eternal Son of God couldn't make decisions. It, it was not like He was questioning, I don't know how to uh, speak the world into existence. That's not the picture. The picture is He empties Himself of all of His privileges and His glory and His splendor. He lays Himself down. He willingly does so. So then it becomes one of those things where you're looking at it and you're asking yourself, so what does that mean? And again, in Philippians, the point is, for Paul, is we're to follow in the footsteps of the Lord. He says in 2, 3, and 4, Do nothing from selfishness or selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. He is the pattern to follow. And that really becomes the pattern for the Christian life to look at it. You say, I understand, like, how was, what was Jesus like? I'm being created into the image of Christ. What is that going to look like in my life? It, it's not going to be, the, the road that I'm on is not the road of self-glory, self-love, self-giving uh, myself over to everything that I ever wanted, pursuing that with all of my might, my, uh, in my own strength, pushing forward to get everything that I possibly can in this life, that is really not the Christian life. That is like anti-Christian life. The Christian life really is a call to follow in the footsteps of the Savior and say, I'm going to endure whatever it may be for God's glory and the good of others. I will lay my life down. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And that's what it means really to enter into life is Luke says this, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Verse Peter 5, verse 5 through 7, clothe yourselves with uh, humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Because what happens is that like when you humble yourself, you're putting yourself in a place of having to trust God because there's more things that you fear. When you drop the sword, if you will, and stop fighting, and honestly, the more you do that, the more you probably will come under attack. I mean, sounds crazy, but like, 
that, that's kind of, Jesus did not come under attack for being, uh, for, for like coming in and saying, let me get all the Jews together and like run Rome out of here. That's not why he came under attack. He, it's, it's different than what you think. But God says like, yes, there will be anxiety that comes with humbling yourself in sacrificial service. But the Lord in his time, he's not going to forget you. And that's what's so hard. Because you might think, like, if I don't protect myself, then, I won't, then what's going to happen to me? If I give my life away. And that's hard. I mean, that's a struggle for us. There's this, I was having lunch with a guy the other day, and I was like, that, y'all use the word FOMO? I know all of you do. You know. But the fear of missing out, that, that's kind of one of the things that, drives our culture because there's so many things that you can see that other people are doing and you're like you can almost gravitate towards what other people are buying what other people are changing about their lives what other people are doing what other people have the experiences they go on all those things and uh, the house that they have and the cars that they drive and the place that they're going in their career and there's just this long list of uh, I, I was looking even like Sims Fishing is doing all these like it's like I don't know Fish Life Well kind of things or what anyway is that what it's called <laughs> yeah and and you'll see that on Instagram in the feed and it's like they're in these unbelievable places yesterday I saw a guy he was catching a peacock bass and it was just it was one of these and you're like oh my goodness look at him he's like crawling up there but it's like they're just saying like you only have one life to live fish it well I mean that's kind of the the picture there, and you kind of look at all those things and you think, that's screaming out to you. Those are the voices. And those voices are like piercing. And they're saying to you, like, get all you can in the moment because you only have one life. Get every single thing you can because you only have this life. That, that's it's crazy because the incarnation speaks to that the incarnation comes to you and says Jesus had only one life here what did he do with it did he spend it well he only had one what did God do with the one life that he had. He offered himself in sacrificial service for the people of God, for all who would believe, and he offered himself up for them, and literally he spent his one life well. Don't, don't you think? He laid down his life. He gave his life. He offered his life. He lost his life. He lost his life. That's, that's crazy. He, he lost his life so he could find it. It's such a different way of thinking. The theology behind Christmas is the incarnation. Christ humbled himself, which is followed by exaltation. Therefore, the Father exalted him. God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. He's not forgotten. He, 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 and he didn't simply return to his 
former exalted position, he, he returns as the God-man, eternally the God-man. He became a human in nature and physical form, and so he's not just the eternal Son of God, but he is also the eternal Son of Man. That may not be the best way to say that, but I mean, the picture there is he is eternally the God-man who was crucified, dead, buried, rose again from the grave, and he is highly exalted for what he does, for what he accomplishes in this life. He became low, and then he is exalted to the highest place. He won by losing. He gave up his life that he might when he humbled himself before the mighty hand of God, casting all his anxiety upon him, knowing that he cared for him, and he endured the cross so that at the end he is raised victorious over the grave. Kind of think like, what would it be like to live incarnational in your family, in your marriage, with your children, in your work? What does that look like? What does it look like to think of others, to put others above yourself, to lay your life down, to do the, take the road of serving? It's not always easy because it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're not leading. Jesus was leading people. He was teaching people. He was healing people. He was in the midst of like all kinds of things. He was actively doing things, but he was serving them. So he is raised to this exalted position, and God bestows on him, the Father bestows on him a name that is above every name. Listen to this in Revelation 5, 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He who was obedient to the point of death is worthy of greater honor because he did the work of laying himself down. The Father is glorified, exalted in that, and the Father exalts him. He lifts him up. He honors him. Ephesians 1, 20-23. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So in this work of the incarnation coming to us, Jesus is raised, but he's raised to, to this place that, that could have never been raised to because the church had to be purchased by his blood. But once he does that, he is raised and he's given to the church and he is now the head of the church forever. And so, again, in the incarnation, you're looking at this and you're saying, this one lays down his life and the Lord, the Father, seeing what the Son did, exalts him to the highest place. 
He won by losing. He suffered. He was brought low. He was scorned. He bore a shame. And then he is honored. So then the question might be like, what is the name? What, what is the name that he has given? I've struggled with that uh, before and thought, what, what is that? But I think the context says, like, the name is Lord. He's given the name Lord. He is Lord. It, it, this passage is saying every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is going to be raised to this exalted position and then given the name that throughout the Old Testament is the name of the covenant God, Yahweh, and he is going to be called Lord. It is associating with him, him with the covenant-keeping God who saves the people, who rescued the people. And so he has given this name that is far above every name, this name, Lord, because he is Lord of heaven and earth. He is eternally Lord. He will never cease to be Lord. He is exalted to this great place. It starts with his humiliation, and it's, it ends with his exaltation. He is Lord, Romans says, of both the living and the dead. He is Lord over all. He took on all of our enemies and defeated all of our enemies and he is vindicated, and God raises him from the dead and says, He is Lord. Acts 2.36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking of Jesus Christ, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. It's almost like he comes on this earth they are, he humbles himself, he is in this lowly place, and they start beating him down. And he keeps going down, and they just, it's further. You know, it's, it's like uh, if you tried to, like, I don't know, serve someone in some way, and then they think, oh, look at that, they're weak, we're going to go after them every single time, in every way, in every moment, and attack them, and like go after them, because they're showed a sign of weakness, look, we can go after them now, and this is great. And so they keep going after him, and after him, they, they don't even want to look at him, they're spitting upon him. You're like... This is the incarnation. He's a, and he goes lower and lower and lower and lower. And there's people saying all along the way, you know what we could do. We're so strong. We're so powerful. Like, we could do anything we want you to. If you'll just, like, if you'll just give in, you know, and, and we'll, we'll back off, you know. And at some point, Jesus says, I could call down 10,000 angels and, I mean, take care of all of you. Are you kidding? But he keeps going lower and lower and lower. And it's so funny, all along the way, there's one of our, our, our uh, studies that we do as a family read sometimes. It's like, while Caesar is, is counting up all the people and talking to himself about how great he is, you know, Jesus is like reducing himself. You know, it's, it's so backwards. It doesn't fit the way man thinks. Like, you kind of wonder sometimes, like, do you think more like Caesar or like Christ? You know, when we're looking at our lives, comparing them. Does it look more incarnational or does it look more, you know, am I following in the footsteps of Christ or what? This name that he has given is Lord. Now, so he humbles himself and then he is exalted. And all of those who all along the way 
would have rejected him, hated him, sought to destroy his kingdom, and those who, in humble faith, trusted him, all those people will one day gather together. And notice what it says. So we're thinking about this. We're saying this incarnation leads from humiliation to exaltation. And now we're going to see the response of all of heaven and earth. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You notice what happens here. They're, they're submitting in a, in a physical way. They're, they're, going to, they're all going to bow before him as Lord. It's a, you know, you'll meet somebody maybe say like, well, I, I remember hearing a, a, a pastor say one time like he uh, met with his, the leaders, the deacons, I think at, at one time, the very first time he kind of met with them and it was on a Sunday afternoon or whatever. And he says, I'm, I, I thought one of the guys said like in a kind of a pompous way, let's, let's, uh, let's pray, you know. And so he kneels. And then there's a prayer, and then when he's done, he stands up, and somebody's like, says, I make a motion that we never kneel when we pray. And another guy says, I second it. And it's like, hold on just a second. Who's Lord here? The Lord Jesus is worthy of our kneeling in this place. But it was interesting that he said that, because it really is, there's coming a day where everyone... Those who hate him, those who love him, those demonic spirits, the angels, those under the earth, maybe the dead, those living, everybody's bowing. There's coming a day when not just God is going to be exalting him and calling him by his name. Even those who disagree with God will be calling him by his name. And so in this passage, it's, I think it's important just to say, he has given the name above every name, uh, but, but also one day, both with their physical bodies and with their words, all will give him the credit due him. They will all say, he is Lord. I remember early on there would be people discussing like, can somebody ask, you know, like, I don't know, the, the language would be kind of asking Jesus in your heart, but accept Jesus as Savior and deny Him as Lord. What is that even? That's weird to even think that that would be... How do you do that? What kind of theology do you have to have that you would deny Jesus as both Savior and Lord? Because He is Lord over all, and is victorious over all your enemies, He can save you. I mean, that's, you know, it's like, what, what do you, that's the only way to be saved is through Him, through His victory over all of our enemies. In the end, Revelation 5.13, we see this because you kind of understand that, that all of heaven and earth and those under the earth are going to be saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It's this eternal 
picture of people giving praise and honor to Him, irregardless of whether they would want to or not, whether they hate Him or not, they will give praise to His name. And so, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ, again, was, it was backwards. It started with humiliation and ended with exaltation. And it's the same in your life. It starts with you. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to walk after Him, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, you will humble yourself before God and before men. And that is one of those things that's so, again, backwards to what we would think. And then you will follow Him, not only the, path, the pathway for you will be humiliation, but at the same time, it will end in exaltation. The, the, the road that you're living now is saying, I, I want to think of others and serve them and, and love them and honor them and bless them and even the unlovely in my life, and I'm going to put them first, and then that act of obedience in following Jesus will be followed by the Lord blessing you with the, the place of honor. Romans 8, 16, and 17 says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness that we, uh, with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we might be glorified with Him. What, what's, what's he saying? He's saying like those who identify with Jesus, life on this earth will also participate with Him in the eternal life in the future. It, it's, it's such a... Again, it's one of those things that's easy to understand, hard to put into practice. But following Jesus in the present is following in the way that, that He lived in the present. It is imitating His life. It is pursuing a life of laying down your life, but then looking forward to the future where you understand that you will be heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. You have the hope that you are, as Paul says, already kings. You already reign with Him. But the fullness of that reign is yet to be seen. This is very freeing because whoever will deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after Christ, whoever will lose his life will gain. Jesus said to His disciples, All authority has been given to Me, therefore... Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I command you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is saying, follow the path of your teacher. Follow the path of the Messiah. Follow the path that I was on. Follow the path of this, the struggles of this present age. Look forward to the future. As I, as I have been with you, I will always be with you. And one day, I will welcome you into my kingdom forever and ever. The Apostle Paul said, For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. And we would say, to God alone be glory. Let's honor Him with our lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We ask that you would 
Help us see what it means to be people who live in light of the incarnation. Who understand forgiveness, understand reconciliation, understand that Jesus came to die to forgive us of our sins so that we could get, receive forgiveness. But that he also left us a way, a way to walk. To walk in a way that would be pleasing, that would bring honor to you. That you would delight in. A, a life of, of service and not just serving ourselves. A life of giving up and being emptied out for things that would have eternal weight and benefit. And we just pray we would do that. It's hard for us to think in that way. We think we win by winning instead of win, winning by losing. And so we pray, Lord, that you would not let us be intoxicated by this world that promises so much hope, that promises so much happiness, that promises so much satisfaction, but will never, ever be able to give us the eternal hope and satisfaction that matters. In Christ's name, amen.